bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 15, 2011. This week, I'll start by sharing some of my initial impressions of the Obama administration's budget proposal for the fiscal year 2012, and also discuss some upcoming critical deadlines. Then, I'm going to discuss the proposal released last week to reform the nation's housing finance system and to wind down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. For our renewable energy discussion this week, I'll talk about the National Offshore Wind Strategy that was announced jointly last week by the Departments of the Interior and Energy. Then, turning to the new market tax credits, I'll share details of two community development projects in Chicago that demonstrate the clear and direct benefits that the new markets tax credit program provides to low-income communities and their residents. Finally, for the historic tax credit segment, I'll discuss news from Maryland, where Governor O'Malley announced the award of $10 million in sustainable communities tax credits. So if you're ready, let's get started. So we start off our general tax credit news segment with word and information about President Obama's fiscal year 2012 budget. The budget was released yesterday, and the budget consists of both a tax component and a spending component. On the tax side, the budget contains several provisions that are particular note to our listeners. These relate to the new market tax credit, the low-income housing tax credit, renewable energy, and historic tax credits. In the new market tax credit area, the President's budget proposes to extend the new market tax credit through the year 2012 at a $5 billion allocation level. The budget would also propose to allow the new market tax credit to offset the alternative minimum tax. As the listeners know, such a change would greatly expand the number of potential investors in the new market tax credit program. In the local housing tax credit area, The President's budget has two key proposals. One would allow low-income housing tax credit-supported projects to elect an average income criterion. Under this average income criterion, a project that elected the 40-60 test could have over-income tenants, tenants above 60%, up to 80%, so long as they had similarly lower-income tenants, such that the overall average income for the project was 60% of area median gross income. This is an, um, would be an important change that would have a significant effect in incentivizing LHT developments to have more mixed income aspects to them. The other provision would provide a 30% basis boost to preservation transactions that are financed with tax and bonds. This would be a significant additional funding vehicle that would make many more acquisition rehab preservation transactions financially feasible. So look for more discussion in the coming weeks on both the 30% basis boost and the mixed income, average income set aside. Moving to renewable energy, 
The budget provides $5 billion more for the Section 48 Cap C Advanced Manufacturing Energy Tax Credit. And then in the historic area, there's a provision for a Section 179 Cap D tax credit for making buildings more energy efficient. Turning to the budget spending side, we first start with HUD, and there we look at the Discretionary Budget Authority. Now, since we don't actually have a 2011 budget yet, when you look at their at the proposals for 2012, it's best to compare it to the actual 2010. So we're, we're, we're comparing the actual for last year, the fiscal year ended 9-30-2010, to the projected budget for 9-30-2012. And in the budget, project-based rental assistance would be increased by about $900 million. Unfortunately, the Public Housing Operating Fund would be decreased by $800 million. The Public Housing Capital Fund would see about a $70 million decrease. Transforming rental assistance would show funding of about $200 million. The Choice Neighborhoods Hope 6 program would go up $50 million more. There'd be no change in the Native American Housing Block Grant. Housing for the elderly would be about $60 million less. Housing for persons with disability would be go down $100 million. It'd go down from a third, roughly $300 million, down to $200 million. Then when you look at the salaries and expenses, HUD expects to save a couple hundred million dollars there. And then all the other types of costs, they expect to uh, increase about $90 million. So overall, the HUD budget would go down from fiscal year 2010 levels by about $1.1 billion. The other item I would note on the spending side is the CDFI fund. Its actual budget for 2010 was was $247 million. There's proposed a $20 million reduction to $227 million for fiscal year 2012. Now, I do remind our listeners that the items I've just discussed with respect to the tax side and the spending side relate to fiscal year ended 9-30-2012, a fiscal year that starts this October. And there are proposals by the president that then have to make their way through the House and the Senate. I also remind our listeners, as I mentioned earlier, that the 2011 budget is not yet completed. The government is actually operating currently under a continuing resolution that expires in about two and a half weeks on March 4th. Now, last Friday, House Republicans came out with their own proposal for funding the government for the balance of this fiscal year, for the balance of the 2011 fiscal year. That proposal included $100 billion in cuts for this fiscal year. And those spending cuts were $1 billion from public housing capital funds, nearly a $3 billion cut in CDBG, a $550 million cut in 202, a $210 million cut in the Section 811 program, Tenant-based Section 8 would be cut $104 million, and the CDFI fund is proposed to be cut $200 million. Now, this Republican proposal does provide, however, $715 million more of funding for project-based Section 8. Now, this is just the Republican House proposal. It does have to make its way through the House, and then it would have to make its way to the Senate, and then there would have to be agreement with the President. 
So we're a long way from any resolution as to what's going to happen on March 4th when the government funding expires. Now, I do note that that's two and a half weeks away, and the Congress and the, the Senate and the House are in session this week. Next week, they're actually out of session. So when they come back at the end of next week, that's when the real negotiations will have to come to bear in order to avoid a shutdown of the federal government. And I do believe that whatever agreement comes out of that negotiation for the 2011 fiscal year will have more significance for the the following negotiations for the 2012 fiscal year. One last item, though, I would like to mention that we did notice, and it's a nice little gem in the brief section that discusses the budget for the Department of the Treasury. There's a page in the budget that discusses the budgeting levels of salaries and expenses for the Office of Inspector General within the Department of Treasury. And here I'm going to quote, Treasury's Recovery Act grants in lieu of tax credit programs for specified energy property and to states for low-income housing projects are estimated to cost almost $20 billion over their lives. OIG anticipates a significant increase of related criminal investigations as Treasury continues to disperse these funds. We're not quite sure what level of criminal investigations are there now, and we're not sure what motivates the Office of Inspector General, or OIG, to anticipate a significant increase. But as our listeners know, this specified energy property grants and loop program is the Section 1603 program, and the grants in lieu of low-income housing tax credits is the Section 1602 program. Those are two programs we follow closely in this podcast. So we'll follow up as we learn more about Treasury's request for additional funding for criminal investigations. I'm going to close our general tax credit news section with a couple of notes from the law firm Williams & Jensen. They noted in their Washington update that came out on February 11th that this last week, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus has announced that he's going to hold hearings on tax reform every Tuesday that the Senate's in session. Senator Baucus has indicated that the hearings are going to cover issues that include corporate taxes and individual taxes, AMT, tax expenditures, a comparison of the current worldwide or national tax system versus a territorial tax system, And as as our listeners know, the House has also indicated that they're going to have similar hearings. Williams and Jensen also noted that this last week saw two potential changes in the tax committees in the House and the Senate. In the Senate, Senate Finance Committee member Senator John Kyle has said he's not going to seek re-election in 2012. This means a seat will be opening up, a Republican seat, on the Senate Finance Committee. On the House side, as most of our listeners have certainly heard uh, in the news and seen probably on TV, Congressman Chris Lee did resign his House seat on February 9th due to a scandal. He was on the House Ways and Means Committee, and that seat is expected to be filled. There's uh, Williams and Jensen's reporting that it's likely to be filled with a Republican from New York, but that's far from certain. Turning to local housing tax credit and affordable housing news, as most listeners already know, last week the Obama administration delivered its much-anticipated report to Congress proposing a plan to reform the housing finance market. The proposal 
would gradually reduce Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's role in the market and ultimately wind down both institutions, which the administration says would create the conditions for private capital to play the predominant role in housing finance. The report also stresses, and I have to urge this, stresses a commitment to affordable rental housing and calls for a dedicated funding source for affordability efforts. Additional information is available on the GSE reform page. Specifically, the report calls for reforming and strengthening the FHA, ensuring that Federal Home Loan Bank support for small and medium-sized finance institutions continues, rebalances the nation's housing policy, and strengthens support for affordable rental housing, and ensures that capital is available to creditworthy borrowers in all communities, including rural areas, economically distressed regions, and low-income communities. As I mentioned, the proposal calls for a dedicated, budget-neutral financing mechanism to support affordable rental housing efforts. The House Financial Services Committee has already scheduled a series of hearings to discuss housing finance reform. The first hearing was held last week before the plan was released. The administration's proposal is expected to be a central focus of the remaining hearings, which are scheduled for February 16th and March 1st. Now, if you're interested in learning more about how the reform and winding down of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac could affect affordable rental housing, I encourage you to read the Policy Points article in the February issue of the Journal of Tax Credits. Policy Points is a new monthly column that's written for the journal by Peter Lawrence, a senior policy director for Enterprise Community Partners. In his inaugural column, Peter discusses the Fannie-Freddie debate and its implications for multifamily rental housing. The February installment of Policy Points is featured online at www.novaco.com journal. Of course, Novograd and Company will track this proposal closely and will report in future podcasts as developments warrant. You can also track the latest news and information on this topic online at our website at www.novaco.com slash hottopics. In a related news item, Fannie Mae did announce last week that in 2010, the company, in conjunction with its lender and housing partners, provided $16.9 billion in debt financing for the rental housing market. Through approximately 2,300 multifamily mortgage loans for 306,000 units, Fannie Mae's volume for 2010 was down approximately 14% from the year before. Approximately 91% of the multifamily units financed by Fannie Mae in 2010 were affordable to families at or below the median income of their communities. Earlier this month, Freddie Mac also announced its volume totals for 2010. In 2010, Freddie Mac processed approximately $15 billion in volume for its multifamily whole loan and bond guarantee business. This compared to almost $17 billion in 2009. This volume includes Freddie Mac's targeted affordable housing products, which finance apartments that receive some form of government subsidy. I'd also like to mention that last week, the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition, and most of our listeners know I sit on the board, announced that it is accepting entries for the 17th annual Charles L. Edson Tax Credit Excellence Awards Program. 
This national awards program is presented to the most outstanding Logamazin Tesco properties in seven categories. Each winner, an honorable mention, is recognized in an award ceremony in Washington, D.C. To be eligible, projects must have been placed in service on or after January 1, 2010. Nominations are encouraged and may be made by state LIHTC allocating agencies, governmental agencies, national or local nonprofits, syndicators, investors, or developer owners. More applications, the better. Now, entries should be postmarked by the close of business on March 21, 2011, and they should be sent directly to the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition. A complete application, judging criteria, and other program requirements can be found online at www.taxcreditcoalition.org. Now, moving on to an update on 2011 income limits. And this is something that's always very important to low-income housing tax credit property owners this time of year. HUD has informally indicated that the 2011 income limits may be released in late March or April. Now, we understand that one reason why these income limits are going to be out relatively late again this year is because HUD is switching the way the American Community Survey data is averaged. They're switching from a three-year method to a five-year averaging method. Now, as soon as the new income limit data is available, Nevergrad and Company will compile a complete analysis and review of the new income limits. And, of course, we'll also update our rent and income limit calculator to include the 2011 data. So, once again, we're expecting it in late March or April. Subscribers to the free Industry Alert email service will also receive an email announcement when the income limits are out as well as when the calculator update has been completed. In the meantime, if you have any questions about using the current 2010 income limits or questions about the methodology changes we're anticipating for the 2011 limits, I encourage you to contact my partner, Jim Kroger. He can be reached at 415-356-8000. In other breaking news in the loan compensation tax credit area, last week the IRS released a ruling as to whether or not tax credit assistance program grants or TCAP grants are includable in the gross income of taxpayers. The ruling, CCA 201-06008, can be found on our website, www.taxcredithousing.com. The IRS concluded in the ruling that TCAP grants are includable in the gross income of taxpayers that are awarded funds. Now, this conclusion isn't a surprise to most tax practitioners. Nicola Panoli, who also works at Novogratz and Company, and Glenn Graff, an attorney in Chicago, the three of us wrote an article for the American Bar Association Journal not that long ago where we reached a similar conclusion. The significance of this ruling is actually the impact it could have on determining when tax credit exchange program grants are includable in income. Now, most of our listeners know that tax credit exchange grants are not taxable income but they are tax-exempt income that generates basis and assets. To the extent that the money is granted to a partnership, the net basis in the assets is basically going to accrue to the partners who are in the partnership at the time the income accrues. When you look at this ruling dealing with TCAP grants, they ruled that you recognize the income in general upon the earliest of when physical performance takes place, payment is due, or payment is made. 
The ruling goes on to list a court case and a revenue ruling that give additional guidance on the question. I would encourage all of our listeners who have any partnerships that are receiving tax credit exchange program grants to review this ruling to assess when the taxes and income from the exchange grant needs to be recognized by the partnership. If you have additional questions, I'd encourage you to contact Nicola Panoli. He's a principal with Novogratic and Company in our Portland, Oregon office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, last week, Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar and Secretary of Energy Stephen Chu unveiled a coordinated strategic plan to accelerate the development of offshore wind energy. The announcement included new funding opportunities for up to $50.5 million for projects that support offshore wind energy deployment in several high-priority wind energy areas in the Mid-Atlantic. The administration says that the joint National Offshore Wind Strategy made public last week is the first ever interagency plan on offshore wind energy. The plan focuses on overcoming three key challenges. One, the relatively high cost of offshore wind energy. Two, technical challenges surrounding installation, operations, and grid interconnection. And three, the lack of site data and experience with project permitting processes. The administration also identified four wind energy areas offshore, offshore the Mid-Atlantic, as part of Interior's Smart from the Start approach. Some listeners may recall we discussed this initiative in November 2010. Basically, this initiative uses appropriate designated areas, coordinated environmental studies, large-scale planning, and expedited approval processes to speed offshore wind energy development. The new areas on the Outer Continental Shelf, offshore Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, and Virginia, will receive early environmental reviews, and this will help to lessen the time required for review, leasing, and approval of offshore wind turbine facilities. In March, the Department of the Interior also plans to identify wind energy areas off of North Atlantic states. These states include Massachusetts and Rhode Island. The administration reports that a similar process will occur for the South Atlantic region, namely North Carolina, this spring. Congressman Bill Pascrell Jr. released a statement applauding the announcement. In July, Congressman Pascrell introduced the Offshore Wind Power Act, which would allow investments in geothermal and offshore wind facilities to be eligible for the 30% investment tax credit. Congressman Pascrell says this change could spur billions of dollars in private investment. A copy of the Offshore Wind Power Act or H.R. 5771, can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. You can also find a copy of the National Offshore Wind Strategy at that address. In New Market Tax Credit news, I want to turn to a couple of Chicago New Market Tax Credit projects. Despite what you may have heard about the use of New Market Tax Credits in Chicago, we believe that the city's low-income neighborhoods and people have benefited significantly from the program in the last few years. The Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits regularly covers New Market Tax Credit projects throughout the country, projects that are providing jobs and services to low-income population. Here's a snapshot of a New Market Tax Credit project in Chicago that we featured in the Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits in October of 2010. The article describes a new Target store that is anchoring a retail center in Chicago's uptown neighborhood. The Target store is part of a larger $150 million redevelopment of the formerly industrial Wilson Yard site in the Northside's uptown neighborhood. The five-phase project also includes 
an Aldi grocery store, 24,000 square foot strip retail center, 178 affordable housing units, and a 380 space parking garage. A $35 million qualified equity investment funded the Target store and the parking garage. The project created more than 500 jobs in a census tract that has a 35.1% poverty rate and a 16.2% rate of unemployment. 260 of those jobs were construction jobs associated with the construction of the building shell and foundations and parking garage. Target also hired 311 workers for the store. According to Target, 80% of the workers live in the surrounding area. And in the March issue of the journal, we will be highlighting Hales Franciscan High School on Chicago's south side, which is using numeric attached credits to renovate and modernize its campus. Hales Franciscan is an independent Catholic high school that primarily educates African-American males. The school will use a $12 million Newmark Test allocation, along with an allocation of Illinois State Newmark Test credits. These monies will complete a $9 million renovation of its main building, provide upgrades to mathematics, science, and technology capabilities, and provide for construction of and equipment for an athletic field and facilities. This investment will also enable Hales to accommodate increased enrollment. You can read more about this project and numerous other new market tax credit projects in the Journal of Tax Credits. To subscribe to the journal, please visit our website or call 415-356-7960. We also want you to know that Novograd & Company has created a web page where community development professionals can find a collection of resources to help them support the new market tax credit program. At www.novaco.com, simply click on Hot Topics and then select the link for Tax Credit Advocacy. There, you'll find a complete compilation of resources and information about the New Market Tax Credit Program, resources that you can use to rebut the inaccurate news stories that have circulated recently, and to educate lawmakers on the many benefits of this important program. The materials that are currently posted on our site were created by the New Market Tax Credit Coalition, of which we're a member. We will continue to gather advocacy resources on our website, so you should check back often. You can also go to nmtccoalition.org. In historic tax credit news, you may recall that I had promised to reveal my favorite Super Bowl ad commercial during this week's podcast. However, we still haven't received the correct guess. Our listening audience has given us several guesses, including the Darth Vader ad, as, we ha- as have our Twitter followers. However, since we don't have a correct guess yet, we're going to extend the contest for another week. And also, here's a hint. To help you determine which Super Bowl commercial was my favorite, I note that I announced the contest and discussed Super Bowl ads during the Historic Tax Credit segment of this podcast. So please send in your guesses via email to me, michael.novogradic at novaco.com or to cpas at novaco.com. The first person to correctly surmise my favorite ad from Super Bowl 45 will win a free registration to the National Historic Tax Credit Conference in Cleveland. The conference is being held on April 7th and 8th. And once again, the fact that that's the award for winning this uh, contest says something about which was my favorite ad. You can learn more about the event itself online at www.novacode.com events. Also, Last week, Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley announced the recipients of the latest round of Sustainable Communities Tax Credits. 
Last year, Governor O'Malley successfully proposed an enhanced version of the historic tax credit and transformed it into the Sustainable Communities Tax Credit. The Sustainable Communities Tax Credit and its predecessor, the Historic Tax Credit, have invested more than $358 million in Maryland revitalization projects in the past 15 years, supporting 15,000 jobs and revitalizing numerous communities. The Governor's Office says that projects funded by the tax credits have produced more than $1.5 billion in total direct rehabilitation expenditures by owners and developers. Coupled with wages, both construction and new jobs, as well as state and local revenues generated, this equates to more than $8.50 in economic activity for every $1 invested by state government. In the recent application round, a total of 36 applications were submitted for a total of $40 million in sustainable communities tax credits. Ten projects that scored highest in the most recent application round received a total of $11 million in tax credits in last week's announcement. The winning projects have a total estimated cost of over $82 million. The governor's office estimates that the projects will create 740 construction jobs. In his proposed budget for fiscal year 2012, Governor O'Malley maintained funding for the Sustainable Communities Tax Credit at $10 million. A list of the 10 projects that submitted successful applications for the Maryland Sustainable Communities Tax Credit can be found online at www.historictaxcredits.com. So if you're interested in applying for state historic tax credits, or you're interested in generating federal historic tax credits from your rehabilitation project, I encourage you to call my partners, Tom Bosha and Charlie Ruda. Call them to see how Novogratz Company can help you submit a successful application for state tax credits or to comply with the federal rules in order to generate the federal historic tax credits. Tom is in our Cleveland office, and Charlie is in our Boston office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another edition of Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.